It's the incontrovertibly best show you will ever hear in your life. Vegan Radio. <laughs> incontrovertibly. I, did you just make that up? Uh, I got it from a Pink Floyd song. I, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard that word pronounced maybe in that way. Yeah. Well, you learn a lot with me. You put the emphasis on the con. <laughs> <laughs> incontrovertibly. The evidence before the court is incontroversible. <laughs> Veganism <laughs> is the only way. You know you're Jones and I don't know. You have to tell the Dalai Lama that. <gasps> is Dalai he back Lama. on me? Well. No. He's he, such a switcheroo. he never went off of it. What? Yes, he did. He was... It was... Com- now, because, uh, well, maybe he did, but, you know, Saint, uh, Sir Paul. Sir Paul's been giving him uh, a line. Sir Paul's giving the Dalai Lama a hard time? Yep. He's, uh, he's it's like the two spiritual leaders of the world battling. <laughs> wagging his, his musical finger in the direction of uh, Tenzin Gyatso. Uh, Tenzin huh. what? Tenzin Gyatso, the Dalai oh, Lama. The Dalai. Um, Those finger waggers, you can't trust them. Yep. Well. So All today... Yes, go on. <laughs> Today on our show, we have a uh, author of the book, Raw Food Diet Myth, which has a title that may or may not be misleading. What does it mean? Her name is Ruth Ann Russo. She's an educator, health counselor, and raw food enthusiast. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Tell gonna, me more. So I'm chomping at the about bit. These myths. We're going to find myth. out if the raw food diet is a myth. Hmm. Or, I don't know. If I think it's not. I think people who say they're on a raw diet are probably faking. It's been a long hiatus. Hasn't it, though? And here we're back. We're back here, stronger than ever. And wait a minute. Is clearly. This, is this possibly the last show of the entire year? Is this the last show with Megan Shackelford before she goes to India? I think it could be. This oh is my, my grand finale. Actually, we have a show January 1st, uh-huh. which uh, Megan could come to if she's not in too much of a psychotic frenzy yeah this might be but the last maybe show. we'll have a brand new uh co-host yeah we've been uh doing a we've little bit of soliciting have you been girls. interviewing uh um, well, we've been going out to bars and talking to girls <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure uh, you'll find a lot of uh, vegan radio we show did, hosts we that did. Way. we found a well last night we found a borderline vegan mm-hmm. and uh, loves we, to cook we, vegan we thought anyway. we could like get her on the show and push her over the edge to veganism <laughs> we'll push yeah, over some. It'd be I'm like sure. the project, or maybe we would all become meat eaters by the end of it. Who knows? And where did you meet then her? It could be meat radio. This Ew. is a, out at a bar. You met her. Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were at the open mic at one of the local yeah, establishments. Scott was playing songs at the open mic, and I went there to uh, try to recruit people for our event this Saturday at the Northampton Center for the Arts. So yeah, the solstice party fundraiser for the vegan bus starts at seven o'clock with an open stage eight o'clock drum circle nine o'clock dj brando and ten thirty shaka zoba the afrobeat battalion wow it's going to be amazing and where is the center Sweet for the arts mama's vegan bakery is going to be there with their delectable delicious vegan cheesecake nice not like me vegan beefcake <laughs> and then oh my God. Catalyst Kombucha will be there. And there's an artist named Dana Wild who's going to be doing a live painting throughout the event. We've got dancers. We've got hula hoopers. Who knows? we got everything. And who's the caricaturist who's going to be there? Oh, he, he said he couldn't come. Oh, oh. He's not vegan anyway. Ah. Eh. 
that doesn't matter. Everyone's welcome. That's right. And where is what's what's a the good Northampton Center for the yeah, Arts the is in downtown Northampton, right across from the Academy of Music across South Street. And it's uh, everyone knows where it is. Come it's on. a great space. It's, it's a great space. Big it's wide a giant open space. ballroom, and then there's a little side gallery where all our vegan t-shirts swag. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a clearance sale of Veganica, Vegan Radio, and Vegan Bus t-shirts because we have so many. Uh, so many different styles and sizes, and it's hard to keep track of them all. So I just want to get rid of everything and start over. Very good. Eight dollars a shirt. There'll be collectible because who knows? We might not Three even reproduce the same prints again. Ooh. Right. And there's uh, that typo. That typo right? on the vegan radio. Oh yeah. W X O R. What was it? Like? <laughs> w R O X. I don't know. W R A W. Ah, well, it's close enough. Anyway, and uh, yeah, so that's gonna be really good. And I'm excited. Oh, yes. And I hope you'll all come. $8 will get you everything you can dream of and more. Is It'll it be the longest night of the year. Is it an $8 entrance fee? $8 to get in donation to the Vegan Bus. Beautiful. Project. We'll get that thing back on the road. <laughs> or at least get it out of debt. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a right. project. That's why it's called a project. It's a project. <laughs> project um all right i've got a little news story and then we'll let scott go what you got um <coughs> well we all know about the great news that um we banned uh greyhound racing in massachusetts yeah, in the Ow. november elections and how soon does that take effect um not soon enough but i think it's in like a year or two mm-hmm. but uh it's not looking good for the greyhound racing industry anyway we've had a uh Hinsdale Greyhound track in Connecticut just closed uh, after 51 seasons as a dog slavery and tortured facility. The Hinsdale Greyhound Park announced that it ceased operations and surrendered its Perry Mutual license to state regulators. It's a sad day for racing in New Hampshire, said 40-year-old State Racing and Charitable Gaming Commission mafioso Timothy J. Ted Connors. Is that some kind of defamation that I could get in trouble for? I don't know. Anyway. Do you mean it? <laughs> um, I don't mean it. I don't oh. know if how involved in the mafia he is, probably only vaguely. Anyway, that's why we need video slot machines to keep these tracks going. <coughs> what? <laughs> well, the guy's obviously a... What? Obviously a bad man. I don't know. Um, <coughs> so, yeah. Unfortunately, our results have for some time reflected what's happening in the economy and the gaming business nationally. Mm. Wah, wah. Uh, while all employees paid in full, blah, blah, blah. Track officials said that in October, at the end of the 2008 racing season, the track gave all the greyhounds on the premises to several independent nonprofits, including a local group, Fast Friends. No pun necessary. <laughs> um... Rockingham Park officials are pushing a plan to bring 3,000 video slot machines to its facility, while some lawmakers have been calling for 1,000 machines each at state dog tracks. And then it's turned yes. into, like, a gambling place? I don't know. These people well, are all <laughs> wet. Yeah, I mean, it's gambling to begin with, you know. So, But it's just betting. not using animals anymore. Hopefully, yeah, they'll have, like, just human animals. digital dogs or something. <laughs> digital dogs. I mean, it could be said that addicting people to slot machines is a form of cruelty. 
Yep, we have to we have to stand up for humans too, and stand up against humans at the same time. It's quite a conundrum. Am I on tonight or what? <laughs> you are. You're on something. <laughs> I was like, you're. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. You're on something. Three but hours I don't know sleep what. and a large soy mocha. Yeah, is that's is that what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you get so little sleep? Well, after uh, we solicited co-hosts for vegan, <laughs> 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 we went to the after party. Um, uh, after party to further interview. The co the future co-hosts. What after party? You guys are, what are you, partying all night now? Well, I was depressed over having my bike stolen. Oh, no. So And I was depressed. Or borrowed, I guess, <laughs> indefinitely. That's, that's depression depressed me. Yeah. <laughs> so we all commi- we commiserated. We cried into our beers yep. together. And who had an after hours party? And then we had a, uh, we had a vegan jello wrestling contest. Oh, please. And Scott won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's always room for Scott in the Jello, as yep. they say. He did some kind of weird move and submerged my face into the vegan Jello. And I'm sure that's <laughs> not the only thing he submerged. <laughs> <laughs> I'm submerging the memory of it all right now. <laughs> I photographed a uh, high school wrestling match yesterday. Wow, that stuff's pretty crazy. Yeah, it really is. It's it looks like somebody could really get hurt. Yeah, or. or or something else. <laughs> <laughs> On to our next story, Scott. Yes. Well, uh, here's the here's the news. <laughs> Actor Jeremy Piven has abruptly left the cast of the hit Broadway revival of David Mamet's play Speed the Plow because of a high mercury count, possibly caused by eating too much sushi. Ah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> people may remember Jeremy Piven as that guy who's in all the John Cusack movies. Um. Oh, with the blonde hair? <coughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Producers of the play said on Thursday that Emmy winner William H. Macy, who you know, the redhead, has had a long association with Mamet, and Tony Award winner Norbert Leo Butts will take over the role of Foulmouth Studio Executive. Uh, Piven, best known as a star of the TV show Entourage, maybe, well, maybe not best known, <laughs> had been expected to continue in the play until late February. Citing doctor's advice, Piven, who is 43, Ended his run on Wednesday after missing two performances. Mamet expressed skepticism at the unusual diagnosis. I talked to Jeremy on the phone. He probably talked in jazz rhythm. <laughs> I talked to Jeremy on the phone. He told me that he discovered that he had a very high level of mercury, Mamet told newspaper Daily Variety. So my understanding is that he's leaving the show business to pursue a career as a thermometer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. So he's an oh, avid sushi eater who regularly had sushi twice a day, and he's also twice been taking a day. That's right, and he's also been taking Chinese herbs, which he said could have led to the problem, because actually some of those uh, things are contaminated. The co-owner of the holistically based Peak Wellness Clinic, Kolker, said Piven complained of dizziness and fatigue and had difficulty lifting his limbs. Doctors ordered him to rest. <laughs> Um, what was he doing with his limbs? Uh, flailing them, I guess. Because <laughs> he's in a David Mamet play. He had flaccid limbs. <laughs> so there's a little word of warning to y'all. Be Don't eat sushi. Stay, lo- stay lower on the food chain if you can. In other you news... You guys keep hearing a, a voice in the background that needs to be silenced. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. The, the peanut gallery. We have a one-woman a one peanut gallery here tonight. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the... I don't know. It's like one of those t- real part, right? like comedy morning shows. Um, yes, we're the shock jocks of veganism. Story number two. Diet and light food products are not effective. Mm. Yep. 
I could have told you that. That's no story. It's true. In fact, this kind of news has been coming out a lot uh, lately. But yes, in fact, What's up with people drinking diet sodas? Um, I don't know. Doesn't it's it turn like into... gross, and it turns into formaldehyde in yeah. your blood and stuff. It does. I just heard there's some... Somewhere they're thinking <coughs> of raising... Oh, taxing um, soft drinks mm-hmm. um, to raise money for the state or whatever. I I'm not sure if it was Massachusetts, <laughs> but... and. Uh, but they're going to tax, like, Coke and everything, but not the Diet Coke. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that ridiculous? What? Because Diet Coke like is healthy. En- <laughs> encouraging people to drink diet soft drinks. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing. It's I mean, like um, not, not taxing light cigarettes or something. Yeah. Uh, they should definitely do something to raise money for Very all the strange. diabetes and things that people are getting. Uh, so, yes, in fact, after analyzing calorie, fat, and sugar levels in... Uh, diet products which i guess is a magazine uh let's see oh no consumer watchdogs which which <laughs> yep w-h-i-c-h look for them uh they found they offered little benefit over standard versions they tested weight loss claims ag- ag- across a range of foods sold by asda morrison's sainsbury's tesco m&s and waitrose which are all english companies so i guess it's an english story <laughs> Uh, and the results indicated that Kellogg's Special K, which is marketed as a slimming cereal, contained <laughs> equal calories at 171 per 30 grams as the company's cornflakes and even more than its bran flakes. Yep. Breaking news here. This is breaking news. Yeah. Well, I got a th- I got a special vendetta against Special K. <laughs> special K ruined they're always, my marriage. They're always advertising, you know, they're showing these ads of like these excruciatingly skinny women going, gosh, I really need diet. I, <laughs> I better have some Special K. I can pinch an inch. <laughs> um, <laughs> was Special K the one that did that whole pinch and inch thing? Yes, back oh in the day. Oh my god! Yep. Uh, so I've always—that's always like hurt my self-image because I can always pinch an inch. Yeah, exactly. I can even pinch when, an inch when I'm on in my, my best shape. That's right. I, I can even pinch an inch on my scalp. <laughs> I know. I can like my cheeks. I can get a couple inches. Well, maybe not my scalp. Who are you guys? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> We're here to entertain you, Megan. <laughs> It's this all going by Megan so quickly. Megan Shackelford's last show. <laughs> I have nothing to say. She'll be in India. You got, you got your witticisms are filling uh, up all the space. Trying to resist dairy chai. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Good luck. We're gonna keep report. We're gonna keep you updated, listeners. Yep. Will Megan crack <laughs> in the dairy world? I don't think so. The world where doubts. there is no soy milk. Do <laughs> you have doubts? Scott has doubts. <laughs> well, I have doubt you'll crack. She's gonna come back with a milk what I mustache. Mean. Oh, brother. I what? hope it's an almond milk mustache. <laughs> In related oh news, God. a recommended diet for diabetics may need changing, study suggests. Yep. People with type 2 diabetes, uh, which is the late onset version, who are on a high fiber diet kept their blood sugar under better control when they ate foods like beans and nuts instead of the recommended whole grain diet, researchers have found. Beans and nuts are among foods that only modestly increase blood glucose levels. Scientists describe these foods as having a low glycemic index. Scientists do. The Ah. new study, which lasted six months, is one of the largest and longest to assess the impact of foods with a low glycemic index, researchers said. Participants on a low glycemic diet also saw significant improvements in cholesterol after six months with increases in HDL, the so-called good cholesterol, associated with a reduced risk of heart disease. That's an important issue today because there's a double whammy for people who are diabetic, said Dr. David J.A. Jenkins. <laughs> or you can just call him J. Jenkins. Lead author of J. the report J. and a professor of nutritional sciences at the University of Toronto. If they're men, they have twice the risk of heart disease. And if they're women, they have four times the risk. If you can't hit the heart disease 
to which they're particularly vulnerable, you may have something useful. Pharmaceuticals used to control type 2 diabetes have not shown the expected benefits in terms of reducing cardiovascular disease, he said, profitable as they are. Mm. The study was published on Tuesday in the Journal of the American Medical Association. So there you go. So there you have nuts, it. legumes. Stay away from whole grains, is what they're saying. It doesn't have as much of an effect. Yeah, just generally, you know, the grains do late raise your blood sugar uh, significantly, so... It's just I just saw an oatmeal container that said it lowered cholesterol. Uh-huh. Yeah, they've been s- making those claims for a long time. I think it's actually true. Are you saying they're lying? Um, <coughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. I'm merely characterizing <laughs> it as a claim. Why are you holding a Kyle Vincent CD? Shh. This is your going away <laughs> present. Oh. <laughs> we got to play some uh, some Kyle. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Do you have a story about Liz Hurley, Scott? Um. Actually, I do. I'm not sure I want to bring it up, but <laughs> she's wearing she's wearing baby mink. <gasps> oh no! Yeah, and um, folks are folks are naturally a oh, Megan ba- Shackleford's bothered. got a cell phone now. <laughs> Listen she to that! Forgot to turn it off. Congratulations. <laughs> um, yep, baby mink skin is what she's wearing. Black baby mink skin. Who? Liz Hurley. Makes me want to hurl, that's for sure. Yep. She's uh, 43. She posed for the latest advertising campaign for Black Glama, the American fashion house known for the pedigree of expensive mink fur accoutrements. Um, she's sewn pouting above a black mink coat. So she's a uh, PETA. It's gotten on her case about it. Oh, that PETA. They're crazy. Yep. Crazy activists. Yeah, well, they don't miss a beat, that PETA. You can always count on them. So anything having to do with the stars, yeah. There. So I don't know. I don't know much about Liz. Uh, she's quite lovely. Except <laughs> she needs on to the be outside. Given a talking to. Uh, we're gonna take a little break. You're listening to Vegan Radio on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. And coming up next, we're going to have an interview with the author of the Raw Food Diet Myth, Ruth Ann Russo. But now we're having a little. Going away song for Megan by her favorite musician in the whole world, Kyle Vincent. I saw her in line at the stop and shop. She looked at me, I almost dropped The apple juice that I was holding holding. Then again at Trader Joe's She cut my eye and I just froze While my soy ice cream was melting She said, don't you know I said, hi, I'm a silent voice. 
Wide world knows, Megan. It's true. Um, yeah. That was Kyle Vincent. Man, that's got some production on it. Local vegan um, legend. And uh, the man, <clears throat> the myth, the legend. Where is he today? I don't We'd know. Like Where know. is he any day? That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh, he's around. He's, he's around. in a living room somewhere playing his music for somebody. But in the meantime, we're gonna. Well, you know, he's the singer for the Bay City Rollers now, so he's got, oh, that's he's true. got a lot going on. Now the Bay City Rollers have a vegan singer in music news. Ruthann Russo is an educator, health counselor, and raw food enthusiast. She began a grassroots movement to educate consumers to take control of their health care and what they can do to help heal themselves with seven steps to best possible health care and the free health map program. She developed the camp method for training and education tested with a hospital of the University of Pennsylvania Medicine Residents. She is a certified holistic health counselor through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and Columbia University's Teachers College, a graduate of Dickinson College, American University's Washington College of Law, Robert Wood Johnson Medical School's School of Public Health, and Turo University International. Geez, I needed a degree just to read all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so is that everything about you? No. <laughs> Pretty much, no. Um, so you got a great new book about the raw food diet myth. And uh, that title could possibly confuse some people. Do you want to tell us what it's about? You're right. It is. Uh, it has confused some people. And uh, it's actually a pro-raw food, um, actually vegan raw food book. And uh, the myth is that it's not a diet. I guess I kind of picked up on that when I read... It was something in one of the, I think, journals or magazines, or maybe it was online, where uh, there was an article talking about the top ten diets in the U.S., top ten popular diets, and they were things like, I don't know, South Beach or Atkins or whatever those those um, uh, those particular diets are. And I think number seven was the raw food diet. And uh, when I looked at that, I thought, gee, this is really a myth because when whether you're talking about a vegan lifestyle obviously you you are very well aware um or raw and vegan it's much more than just a diet it's a lifestyle it really permeates every aspect of your life and so that's where the title came from hmm. so it's a pro raw food it book is. So do you, do, you, do you think, which these days you really need to differentiate that as well, because there are some books out there that are very pro raw food, but they include, um, you know, eating of raw, non-vegan types of foods as well. Which yeah, we came across one of those. Yeah, who was that? Carol Alt, I think. Yeah, Carol yep. Alt. She eats raw meat and raw dairy. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which. Yep. Exactly. Most people so. would Im- imagine that dairy is raw, but. I guess it's not. No, I no, it's homogenized, pasteurized, pasteurized, processed, and uh, hormonalized. Mm-hmm. And what else? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Nothing good, I'm sure. <laughs> Fecalized. Do, is that anything that you talk about in in your book then about um, like the raw animal products? Is that anything that you focus on, or no? No, not at all. I mean, just to, except just to talk about the fact that. Um, you know, I don't, 
I don't support the uh, raw animal products at all. And I do. There's a chapter on veganism, which uh, you know reviews the, the basic tenets of veganism for for people, most people who, you know, don't really understand even things like honey isn't part of, um, you know, the, obviously the vegan lifestyle. But a lot of people don't realize that. And so I just talk about some of the basic, those basic things. Gotcha. So can you tell us about your path? I apparently you wrote this book pretty not too long after you actually went raw. Um, and could you talk about your path to raw foods and what got you interested? And Sure. Um, yeah, and actually the, um, the entree into it, to be honest with you, I have been first a vegetarian probably since I was, well, I'm 50 now, been a vegetarian since I was 18 and a vegan since I was about 25 or so. Wow. And so really making the, the switch over for me was not all that difficult. Um, but the way that I even found out about the, you know, the lifestyle, the raw lifestyle, was uh, looking for some alternative methods to uh, help my daughter, my daughter who had recently been diagnosed with epilepsy, and we couldn't control her seizures. And, of course, you know, the allopathic way, the traditional Western medicine way to do that is to pump you full of drugs, and um, we couldn't even find a drug that was working. Even though we weren't real big on, on using prescription drugs, we saw it at least as a temporary remedy. And so really started to look into what were some dietary options. And to be honest with you, um, I picked up a book by uh, Natalia Rose in one of the, the bookstores on, called The Raw Food Detox Diet, I think is the name of it. And uh, there's also another one she wrote called Life, Raw Food, Life Force Energy. I picked that up, had no idea what it was, and read the book from cover to cover and um, bought it and then read it and then thought it was, you know, this concept of eating living um, foods with enzymes that, you know, really helps put your body back into balance was something that, you know, we should at least try. And so I, you know, I talked to my daughter about it, who at the time was 19, and she was game for it. We went to a, uh, a little raw restaurant or a little raw cafe that's about 40 minutes from our house that she actually had talked about in her book. It's a place uh, called Arnold's Way. And we went there, met him. He told us all about the basics, what we needed to buy, the supplies, you know, made us a couple of meals. We ate, we had our first raw meal. You know, of course, we've had salads and, and raw food before, but just in terms of some of the specific preparation techniques. And um, I am happy to say that since that day, my daughter has not had another seizure. Now, I don't necessarily attribute, the, the, you know, her whole, all of her, her health balance to just the raw food, but um, there were several things that she did sort of concurrently, things like yoga, and I talk about that in the book as well, you know, um, yoga, meditation, but the raw food was a, a big part of it. And she also, by the way, was, was a vegan prior to um, you know, going to a raw food option as well. And so how many years now has it been that since she has had a seizure? Two. Two, a little over two. Okay. It was wow, two, so this two all is September. very new, huh? You've only been raw for two years? Yes. And this book, yeah, so this book came out pretty, over the summer? Excuse me? The book came out over the summer? Uh, yes, actually it did. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, we wrote, I wrote the book actually very, very quickly. It was just one of those things that, you know, after we, we went to the, we started eating raw, then we visited a lot of different places. One of, uh, our, one of my favorite places was actually Gabriel Cousins' uh, Tree of Life out in Arizona. 
found out as much as we could, got some great ideas from all these different experts. And one of the things I realized was that many people who I met at these different raw food retreats were, you know, just really starting to learn about the raw food concept. And there was a lot of confusion about information that was out there because everybody tends to sort of have their own version, and everybody is very zealous about promoting their own version of the raw, of raw food. And so I thought, you know, what I, what I wanted to do in this book was really talk about the differences, and I call them healthy conflicts, you know, among the different uh, raw food zealots, so to speak, um, but really talk people through the, the, the differences, what they mean, and try to educate everybody as objectively as possible so that they can make their own decisions about which, which options they would choose to, to use in their own life. So what are some of the healthy conflicts that, uh, that are at the forefront of the yeah, okay. conflict well, movement? Um, there's probably one of the most common is, uh, and of course it's something that's near and dear to many people's hearts, is the whole concept of uh, raw cacao chocolate. Cacao. <laughs> cacao, cacao, cacao. <laughs> exactly, and you've got some real significant differences in um, in the uh, what I would call some of the you know the leaders in the raw food movement. You've got David Wolf, who's a big advocate of cacao, and he he actually even went on some sort of a cacao and maca diet, I think, for three months. He turned brown in the process. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Was he spending a lot of time in the sun too? <laughs> Well, he was in Arizona, so. Uh-huh. Um, did he yeah, really he, turn brown? He did. He, there are pictures of him in, in the book, actually. Wow. Now, do you think that's because of the cow, or maybe he was full of something else? Or? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We Woo! Yes, we love David. We love David. Megan's yeah. voice, on the other hand, is <laughs> pushing our needles right into Ooh. the red here. Oh. Yeah, so so that you know that's that's a big one and a popular one and one that people like to hear about. But then there are folks like um, the the folks at Hippocrates uh, down in in Florida, and that's uh, Brian Clement. You know that group does not believe you should ever cacao or raw chocolate, anything like it should ever touch your lips. They believe it's too many chemicals, hmm. too many things that are not good for the body, etc. And so that's something that you will never find um, at, at, at the uh, retreat down there. Well, if I found some, I would think they were all hypocrites. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> never. Uh, Ruth, that do you, so you discuss it. Do you? What's your personal view on it? My personal view is, well, it's a little tough for me because I, I'm sort of a chocolate addict. <laughs> you know. You know I, oh, I it's just, so hard. Uh, I actually have to sort of control the, the amount of chocolate that I eat. And I was thrilled to find you know, this option because before, before that, you know, the raw chocolate option, I ate just, you know, almost any kind of chocolate I could get my hands on as long as it didn't have, you know, dairy in it. Um, and I, I think this, I think it tastes great. I, you know, I think there are probably people that have not so good reactions to, to chocolate and it might not be the best thing for everybody, everyone, but, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's a great option. It's all about moderation, right? Well, yeah, exactly. So what has been the biggest challenge for you so far in uh, trying to get enough nutrition from raw food? Uh, um, the biggest challenge has, you know, I would probably say it's, um, hmm, I'm thinking about a, a couple of things. I mean, I, I think one of the, the issues for me is in, in the winter. Now, of course, I, I live in the, the temperate zone, right? So in the winter is the winter for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think... Um, 
I have actually found the last couple of of winters, I have had more chest colds. Even though overall I've been healthy, I've had more chest colds, and I think part of the reason for that is because of lack of, of you know, hot foods uh, that actually, I think, help your body retain heat. And so I'm actually currently sort of working through that whole issue in terms of, you know, from a health perspective, might it be necessary, you know, for me to actually um, eat some cooked vegetables or something like that in the winter. Of course, you know, if it's a, if it's a health issue, you obviously have to do whatever works for you, and that's pretty much what I talk about in the book. Um, you know, one of the things is being raw doesn't necessarily mean 100%. In fact, that's like a big discussion. Whenever you meet people in these different raw retreats or restaurants or cafes, you know, someone will ask, oh, are you raw? And then the next question is usually, um, I'm 75%. What are you? And I've never really <laughs> uh-huh, figure right. out how you how anybody can figure that out percentage-wise. Um, but it tends to be like a big topic. Um, so that's probably been the biggest issue for me is just really, you know, the value of warm foods during the winter months to mm. to the you know to the human body. When you when you uh, mention that, it, the first thing that comes to my mind is Ayurvedic, and they have this concept of warming foods and mm. cooling foods and. Uh, Mm-hmm. I don't know that, that, does that, not, that doesn't necessarily mean the food is warm. No. It's more like spice. Like if you put ginger in your in your raw shake or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, that, may, that might help. Who knows? Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point because that does be, it does warm. It's raw, but yet it warms your um, your body. So yeah, that's actually a good, very good point. I know I know some raw foodists who are, you know, they everything they eat is raw, but they'll still have like hot tea and stuff too. Mm-hmm. That's another yeah. option. Yeah, tea is pretty common um, as well. I think, you know, all pretty much all the places that uh, that I've been, I don't think there were any places except maybe Hippocrates where they didn't drink tea. Pretty much all the places that had So those tea. guys are like straight-edge raw people. They're yep. Like, they're mm. really strict. And they do no harm, not even to tea. <laughs> <laughs> they won't kill an enzyme no matter what. <laughs> um, so your daughter, back to your daughter, she did the uh, artwork for your book. She did, and well, interestingly enough, the the art was actually done. She actually created that about three years ago, before I had ever even thought about the book or you know the concept of raw food. And we were looking among all of her her different paintings and saw that one and thought it just really fit the um, you know the concept because of the different. Um, basically, what she's doing is is picturing a seedling growing at different points, and you have that like like a barn on top of or whatever. She's always dreamed of living in a barn someday. <laughs> <laughs> I bet she wishes she grew up in a barn. <laughs> and now she now she's also a the co-founder of the Raw Love Cafe in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Right, right. How's it's that a, going? A small little place that's um, actually right now has gotten a little, uh, we have a little stall to that because of some ADA uh, requirements. We're in a historic area and uh, we have been shut down temporarily because we don't have a, uh, the right kind of ramp. Um, but uh, but she was doing mainly juices and, you know, some simple raw foods, that kind of thing. And so she's hoping to, uh, hope, we're hoping to get past the uh, the legal complexities. Does that Raw Love Cafe, that's, that sounds like another misleading title. To <laughs> 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 get into some trouble. Not misleading, just, um, you know, it, ra- it makes you go, it makes you look at it twice. Yeah. 
Ruth Ann. Might attract some of the wrong clientele. Ruth Ann, Derek hasn't had a lot of sleep. Please forgive him. (laughs) (laughs) And he's been craving a little raw love, I think. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, you're actually right. One of the interesting things was there's this thing called Music Fest that's held in Bethlehem every year, and there's about a million people that come from all over the country, and they were selling T-shirts, and people went crazy over the T-shirts, just obviously because of the name. (laughs) (laughs) That's good marketing. Well, there you go. I think it works. I like it. <laughs> Derek's a fan. <laughs> um, Bethlehem. So is that, where is that in uh, Pennsylvania? So this is where you guys live, Bethlehem? It's, kind of, it's almost right in, smack in the middle of New York City and Philadelphia. Oh, okay. It's about an hour, 20 minutes south of New York and about an hour north of Philly. So is that near um, where the, the vegan treats is? Do you yeah, know them? actually, Vegan Treats is, uh, well, we're probably a couple of miles, I think, uh, south of Vegan Treats. But, yeah, but they're pretty. So people would have, like, <laughs> if, if a vegan went to this area, they would, like, have, like, the the devil and the angel over each shoulder. <laughs> uh, it would be pretty tough. <laughs> so, But I think the raw love name might sway them more your way. Yeah. So yeah, you got maybe. a good thing. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want about man that's rawlovecafe.com i want to talk more about raw food because i'm fascinated uh by the the whole thing and i haven't i have yet to actually go raw but i whenever i have raw food and i have kind you? of like make it the most uh you know central part of my diet mm-hmm. i always feel uh a different kind of energy i guess you'd have to say less yeah, uh it totally uh, yeah energizes you yeah, very much That's so. how I can do these shows on three hours of sleep, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. One of these kale smoothies, and you're all good to go. Um, yeah. what, what would be the, the staple of your diet? Well, I think, you know, one of the staples is a green juice. Now, I don't actually drink smoothies. My husband's a big smoothie drinker, and I think it's, you know, everybody's a little bit different. I don't, I don't really take well to bananas, uh-huh. um, or as he does. So he drinks pretty much a green smoothie every morning, and I uh, drink pretty much a green juice made with whatever kind of greens and ginger and lemon that, uh, you know, that we have. And or if I'm in New York, uh, there's so many different places where you can actually buy good uh, juices that I'll just go out and buy one usually somewhere. So that's something that I pretty much have every day. You know, salad, um, certainly, you know, fresh greens with a, a lot of different veggies in. That's a big piece. That's a big part as well. But I also like, um, especially in the colder months, I tend, to, I find that I tend to eat a lot more seeds and nut-based things, mm. uh, like even crackers, some of the raw bread, um, or it's not really bread; it's more like a soft cracker, I guess you could say. At least the way I make it in the dehydrator. Oh, okay. Um, you know those kind of things. In the summer, I don't tend to eat quite as much as of that. Of that, and of course, chocolate. I mean, you know, all the <laughs> of course, something every day. And so, I what do you, so what do you make with the raw cacao? Well, uh, in terms of cho- usually just chocolates, to be honest with you. Like, I'll make little truffles. I'll just, you know, I either use the, the powder or the, um, the cacao beans and um, just add, I use agave pretty much. Sometimes I'll put a little cinnamon in something, you know. But pretty much just make truffles, put them in the fridge, and they last for a couple of days. Do you have the David Wolf um, chocolate book? I do have that, and I think I've used a couple of different recipes. There's, there's a lot of good ones out there. Um, but yeah, that I can't remember the name of it, but it's yeah, it's slipping out of my mind too. But. Yeah. Now, would you say 
Um, would you characterize the raw diet as an expensive diet or is it possible to, do you think, to just be raw, feel full and satiated and not spend tons of money? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good point. I think if you, if you learn the basics and you have the right tools, you can actually eat raw without a lot of expense. Um, and so, you know, for example, I feel like when I'm in New York, I'm at the mecca of all the different, you know, options. You've got the high-end raw option, which is really the um, the folks over at Pure Food and Wine, okay? Mm-hmm. That, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Or I have, North. yeah. But that's, that's high-end, very expensive, good, great stuff. But then you can also go to Bonobos, which is, you know, only really like 10 blocks away. And there you have very reasonable prices. And a great floor show. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Woo! Uh, I'm what? just making bonobo jokes. Oh, oh bonobos. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Keep going, Ruthann. <laughs> Keep going. I'm listening. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, you know, you've got great stuff, very reasonable prices. And a lot of those recipes, actually, you can replicate pretty easily at home as well once you, you know, see how they put the foods together because they usually have about – I want to say nine or ten different salads and vegetable uh, combinations and about five to six different uh, nut, what they call nut meats. Oh. And, uh, of course, you know, salads, and then they make a great cracker bread type of thing as well. And, very, again, very reasonably priced and something that's, uh, that you can actually replicate. But it does take some uh, some special training, to be honest with you. Not everybody knows how to use a uh, a blender in the way that you need to use a blender to prepare soups and things like that, as well as um, food processors. And then, of course, there's the whole dehydrator thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a different <clears throat> paradigm of preparing food, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it it's, it's it actually a lot simpler it, when, when you, I mean, there's only like four kitchen appliances you really need, and yeah, you can exactly. do almost so, anything. And it takes, I mean, time can be another issue as well. You can, I mean, when I first bought the the cookbook that was uh, produced by the written by the folks over at uh, Pure Food and Wine. I made a couple of meals, and it took me forever. I mean, I literally spent an entire day making the lasagna. It was great, <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, like, like I, I don't have time to do this. <laughs> but then there's just as many cookbooks, you know. Once you you realize that you've got like Jennifer Cornbleed and you know those folks who do simple, easy. Matt uh, Amson, he has he's got a good cookbook too, where. You know, it's e- easy, simple steps, and you're not spending a lot of time. Right. I mean, it's nice to have the mix. It's like, you, you know, you have those really nice time-consuming recipes for when you're having people over, and then, then you've got your quick stuff. Exactly. Just like any other food, right? It's true. And so how, wh- what's the difference? You said that you you were vegan since the probably the beginning of the 80s. Is that true? Mm, yep, Exactly. And what's your, what's your energy like? I know you said that you've gotten more chest colds, but do you have like a difference in energy since these past two years of raw food vegan? Yeah, I I definitely do. I definitely see um, a a higher energy level overall. And I'll tell you that the thing about it is when I first went to eating all raw food, it was almost a little scary to me because I had so much energy um, and I wasn't well, eating any more chocolate than I had before, so it wasn't like I was taking any more caffeine. <laughs> but I couldn't. I mean, I literally was sleeping three hours a day. Now, I've gotten to the point where I, I do sleep a much more, you know, I have a much more normal sleeping pattern, uh, but I thought it was a little weird 
in the beginning, and I think some of it was just adjusting, my, you know, my body adjusting to right. uh, probably, you know, the enzyme intake and, and the energy there. I'm sure, you know, the gut uh, is like, I guess they recently it genetically profiled the bacteria of the gut and found something like hundreds of different varieties. So, you know, you can imagine when you go changing diet, uh, it can actually adapt much more quickly because of the great variety that's there. Uh, so and who knows how that's contributing to your to your illness or, or your cold intensity? But <laughs> you got to get rid of those chest cold bacteria. Um, so did you did you find anything uh, surprising in your research for your book or in getting into the raw diet? Anything surprising? Um, well, you know, again, I guess probably the most surprising things were also the 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 issues around these conflicts. You know, water, and what are we doing with water? You know, dead. There's this whole philosophy of you know dead water versus living water, and you know the uh, the book, which I'm sure you've you've seen the um, hidden messages in the water. Oh yes. Right, and so there's a lot of discussion about that, and you know what should we do? And that's not really just a, a raw food type of thing. Obviously, that's just more an ecological issue that I think you know a lot of people have opinions on. Yeah. You know, I think that's now. There's also one of the things that is also. Um, somewhat concerning, was concerning to me as I was writing the book, was also the issue of supplements. Well, you've got some mm. folks out there, and again, these are, you know, the, whatever the leaders in this raw, raw food movement, um, and you've got some folks who have a whole litany of supplements that they, are, they recommend that you should take if you're on the raw food diet. And um, then you've got other folks who say you don't need anything. Now, interestingly, just from my own personal perspective, I found that I do better without any supplements at all. And I used to take quite a few, and I've sort of, I've, I've experimented over the past couple of years. You know, I'll take some, I'll take none, I'll take a few, and just to see kind of how I feel. And I actually find that I feel better taking no supplements. Hmm. What and about... Again, sure um, it probably varies by person, but there's some of the folks out there, and Gabriel Cousins is one, who has a pretty big list of what he is recommending uh, are, are you know are supplements that should be uh, used by, by by folks who are eating uh, raw and um, and I think that can be a little confusing for people. What about um, have have you had any like B12 concerns or is there something raw that you feel like you get B12 from? Well, I, you know I don't know. I've I've always eaten a lot of greens. Um, to be honest with you, I was never and even when I was eating vegan, I wasn't I, I wasn't eating a lot of um, things like uh, tofu or you know those, those types of um, you're eating less sources yeah less anyway. processed foods like beans and things like that yeah and I th- again I, I mean I think it depends on the person I just I don't think I have any issues I I may and I'm just not aware of it but I've you know I'm very healthy and uh, I just don't think it's a problem now you know there obviously are some specific uh, supplements like the chlorellas. And, and I actually experimented with taking some of that stuff for a while. There's green, they're like green powder drinks. There's the E4 Live folks out there in Portland who dredge the, um, the lake, the Klamath Lake stuff to get you this, the, supposedly the, the best green source that's chock full of vitamin B12. I mean, I've tried it, and it certainly hasn't, and I've taken it for a long enough time to determine, you know, how does it make me feel, energy level, um, and to be honest with you, I really didn't see any difference at all when I was taking it or not taking it. Hmm. So, but I think that's something we all, you know, need to experiment with with ourselves. Yeah, I think uh, with B12, it's good to get checked every 
you know, two or three years and make sure you're doing all right, especially as a vegan. Or um, <clears throat> We had an uh, interview with Dr. Michael Greger from the Boston Vegetarian Food Fest on one of our recent shows, and he was really saying that some of the, the um, data coming back about vegans is that there's definitely some vegans out there that aren't getting enough. Um, probably they haven't done many tests on raw foodists yet, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something good to at least be aware of or something to get tested for if you if you might happen to be one of those people that has health care or something. Right, yeah, certainly <laughs> can't hurt for um, and, But, yeah, B12 stays in your body for a long time, mm-hmm. so, and it, it's probably not something you would notice, you know, right away f- a lack of in your diet until you start twitching. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the first symptom? No, it, it's uh, you know we used to get it in water and things like that before they started chlorinating it, and it's also in the soil. You know, it's a bacteria. It's not. It grows in meat as a bacteria too. It's not something that's inherent in meat. But, hmm. um, I don't know about well. The if I could only get a supplement that would make me make my own B twelve, that would be great. Maybe <laughs> 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 we'll work on that. Um, uh, we're, we're running down on time. I wanted to uh, have you cover the, um, biochemical individuality that you talk about in your book. Sure. The concept of biochemical individuality has actually been around for quite some time. Um, I think it was probably about the, the mid fifties when there were some scientists who started to actually study that and, uh, have published on it. But the bottom line is, or at least the simplified version of this concept is that, and it's kind of what I've been saying all along here, and the a theme of the book, which is that everyone is a little bit different, and there's no generalizations that we can make about um, food and nutrients and intake into the body that will apply across the board to everyone. And so it really, what it really to is the ability to determine for yourself, and it might mean that you need testing, maybe blood tests, you know, testing for minerals, vitamins, et cetera, to determine uh, what types of foods are good for you and what types of foods, you know, might not be as good for you. So that's, you know, again, the simplified version of um, biochemical individuality. I think, and, um, you know, talking to people in my day-to-day life, there's people who will say that they tried veganism or vegetarianism or whatever and they've had, you know, health problems or they felt weak or something and and then, you know, they'll say, Well, you know, veganism isn't for everyone. We all we all have this biochemical individuality, which isn't the word they would have used, but <clears throat> some kind of version of that to be like an argument against veganism. Do you feel like the bio chemical individuality can be addressed completely with a vegan diet or do you think there's people out there who do need some kind of animal protein in their diet to be healthy Hmm. well you know i mean that's a good question and i'm probably not really qualified to answer it i mean i can tell you that you know when some of the things that i've seen for example at the program uh, the nutrition program over at columbia uh, university teachers college where we talked a lot about veganism and raw food diet and we had a lot of speakers come in and talk to us and I will tell you that there were 1,300 people in that program and of those 1,300 people about 90, a little over 90% were vegans or vegetarians. So wow. that, that's just huge. That tells you a little bit something about the type of people who are interested in learning more about nutrition or people who are 
you know, obviously already on that, that vegan path. Um, however, there were people and a lot of case studies that we um, talked about in the program of people that tried and even some who desperately wanted to be um, vegan and just couldn't. They were sick and, and that type of thing. And so when they did um, have animal, some sort of animal um, protein in their diet, they actually were, um, you know, they, they felt better. They were healthier. Now, what I don't know, what I can't say about those case studies is had, had they tried some different alternatives, some other, you know, alternative type of protein that maybe uh, they hadn't tried on a vegan diet. I'm not sure. I'm sure. not sure they or necessarily just, Or maybe just it. ease their way into it a little more slowly. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's different, there's, there were probably different types of options that they had. Um, because personally, I mean, I, I personally believe that pretty much anybody can thrive on a, on a vegan diet. I've seen it with, you know, I, unfortunately I, I still have um, a carnivore left in my family, my son who's 19. I, I you know, try to, um, I've tried to put him on the path, but, you know, once he got away to college, it was pretty, <laughs> much, pretty much out of my control. But it's interesting because I will have conversations with him where he will say, Mom, you know, when, when I'm with you and I'm eating all vegan and, you know, good fresh food, I feel better and my skin is looking much better. And then when I go back to school and I'm eating, you know, animal protein and just not as well, I, don't, I just don't feel as well. So um, the Gabriel Cousins does cover that. Um, different types of diets in uh, one of his books. Do you know which one it is offhand? Um, well, um, different types of diets in terms of I know he's like uh, for different people who have different biochemical individualities. You know, he has like uh, recommendations, um, and that's a book I have, but I can't think of the name. Yeah, I don't know if that's the Rainbow Diet or. Oh yeah, the Rainbow Green Live Food Cuisine. Yeah, That's the book. Might, it oh. might be that. I mean, he ta- a lot of things that he repeats, and you know, between the the conscious eating and the spiritual nutrition, he's got a lot of things that are similar. So it might be more than one book. Um, but yeah. he is certainly, you know, somebody who does. Even though he addresses biochemical individuality, he is very um, much a supporter of uh, vegan veganism for everyone. Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to mention that in case we have listeners that are feel like there might be something lacking in their diet and uh, want to explore a little more how they yeah. can maybe yeah. tweak That's their uh, their raw food or vegan diet to to suit their body's yeah, needs a little better. Does, you're right. He does cover a lot of different options because he's done so much exploration. A great resource. Mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> and now your book, another great resource. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, we. Oh, thank you. I think it's a really uh, great addition to the raw food uh, canon of literature. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a raw food canon of literature? Wow! Oh, yeah. I had no idea. It's exploding. Yeah, I see. <laughs> if only Ernest Hemingway had been a vegan. I know. We'd have uh, what? A lot of uh, <laughs> anecdotes about really good vegan meals. He probably wouldn't have offed himself. Uh, yeah, not so many bullfights either. Um. So. We were, were talking to Ruth Ann Russo, who is the author of The Raw Food Diet Myth. And uh, our show is just about over, Ruth Ann. We want to thank you for coming on with us. It's been really uh, enlightening talking to you. Talking? <laughs> More <laughs> sleep for you, son. <laughs> thank you. I'm going to go talking in, on all night. Um, and uh, any any 
anything you want to announce to our listeners? Any projects coming up or last-minute thoughts? No, I mean, actually just that everybody should make decisions for themselves and you shouldn't be afraid to experiment on yourself and really observe how food, how different foods, assuming, you know, again, that we're on this vegan path, how different foods make you feel and impact you. Just observe, just observe. Yes. Be a scientist. Exactly. And uh, your website is ruthannrusso.com, which is R-U-T-H-A-N-N-R-U-S-S-O.com. We'll have that in our show notes at veganradio.com. Um, thanks so much for coming on, and we hope to hear more from you in the future. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Good, Good night. Thank you. Good night. Excellent. I love the, the biochemical diversity. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Our, our, I think our guts really do just adapt to our diet and then you know if you try and change it all of a sudden it's like uh-uh, uh-uh. i don't know uh-uh, how to do, i don't mama. know what to do with that uh-uh. i'm a bacteria that digests you know stringy stuff i don't i don't go over that green <laughs> stuff uh so yeah what's this you just have to you know get it in balance keep it in balance don't try to rush into things a little patience it's all about uh equilibrium of the intestinal fluoride Truly. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we're putting Derek to bed now. Yes. Oh. Good night. <laughs> yes, thank you for listening. And oh, you want us to do this right now? Sure. Okay. This, this is, is Beloved Binge, and, and you are listening, listening to Vegan, Vegan Radio on WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. Also available at the Pacific Radio Network. And, and podcasting, podcasting at veganradio.com. Do that again. Dang it. Just start from Ann Insert podcast. something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just start with and podcasting. Hmm? Okay. Where, where? All right, how about also available? Also available. <laughs> Sorry. Also available at the Pacific Radio Network and podcasting at veganradio.com. We love you. <laughs> Did you write that again? Actually, it's a Pacific guy. No, you can say something like. <gasps> Did I say Pacific? Cacao. Go vegan or. or oh, okay. Listen to. Vegan uh, Radio, clearing the air and your colon since 2005. <laughs>